Okay, let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we just thank for this day. We thank for the opportunity we have to worship you and come in before you and, and worship and praise. We ask that you guide and lead us in all that we look at this word. And we thank you in your son's name. Amen. All right, we're returning back to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And we're looking, uh, going to read back at verse 12 because it's been two weeks since we've uh, been in Philippians. So we're going to get back to some con context. And so starting at verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather for the, unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident in my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even out of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. But one preached Christ of contention and not sincere, sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn away to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but in that all, but in with all boldness and always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether by my death or by life. Sorry, reverse those. So we're looking at this. We catch us up. Paul is in prison. He's writing to the Philippines. Philippian church he's and we talked about how he was being very happy that people were becoming bold because of him being in prison now we talked a little bit about that how crazy is it sometimes that for Christians when other people suffer and are steadfast in their suffering we can get boldness have you ever noticed that it happens all through the the history of the church Stephen was stoned in the place and what ended up with the Christians around him they got bolder and started speaking why because he said I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the father father forgive them <laughs> he said the same thing Jesus did all through if you've ever read Fox's book of martyrs you see the same story coming out that people were emboldened by the strong strength that God gave his people as they were suffering and it is something that says oh if they can do it God can give them strength, maybe he'll give me the strength, and people get bold. He also talked about some are trying to preach Christ, trying to make things difficult on him. Give you a quick hint, most of those were Judaizers. <laughs> they weren't really giving the full gospel. They were going, yeah, Jesus is okay, but you need, but you need to add something to it. Anytime you hear a message of Jesus isn't enough, you need something else, you're being taught incorrect doctrine. Because the way to heaven is Jesus and Jesus only. Now we will do good works, not because we're trying to get to heaven, but because we love the Father so much, and he's changed who we are, that we will do good works for him. But the way to heaven is Jesus and Jesus only. And then he goes on and says, you know, some of them are doing it just because they're really wanting to preach the gospel. And you know, I'm kind of agreeing with Paul. As long as the gospel is mentioned somewhere in there, I'm happy. You know, the plus could be worked out. <laughs> if people want to go Jesus plus, we can work on that. At least they heard Jesus. <laughs> now, the plus is always wrong. And I'm going to tell you, it is always wrong. No matter how good a teacher you're listening to, if they say it's Jesus plus anything else, they're not biblical. Because it's nothing that is going to be Jesus plus. 
It's not Jesus plus giving to the church. It's not Jesus plus witnessing. It's not Jesus plus ministering to the, the poor and the needy. It's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus and anything. No matter how good the anything else is, it's not Jesus plus. And we want to keep that in mind. We always want to be careful that we're not listening to a false teacher on that. Because they will take us in the wrong direction. They'll take us away from Jesus. But we really want to keep in mind that Paul was happy. And I love, you know, we talked about this, you know, he was chained to these soldiers and these soldiers heard the gospel. And many of them were getting saved. They had four-hour shifts being chained to Paul as he preached and taught and wrote letters and ministered to people. How would you, I mean, think about this, if somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus is chained to this fanatical preacher for Jesus, not just a, you know, everyday pr- person, but somebody who's fanatical about Jesus, probably if he didn't have anybody else talking to him, he was talking to them. You know, Oh, no, nobody else to talk to? Okay, guys, we're going to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> you, know, you can't go anywhere. You're a captive audience. <laughs> Literally captive audience. They were chained to him for four-hour shifts. And he says, many in the palace have heard the message. And he goes on, and verse 18 is where we're going to take over because that's where we left off. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So he's saying, doesn't matter. Christ is preached. He's going to be preached. Whether in pretense, meaning that they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And this word for pretense is quite strong because it is literally, they had their alleged reasons. They're pretenders. <laughs> he's going, they're, not even, they're not even followers of Christ, but they're just pretending, but they, get, they tell the gospel. They have this gospel plus. He goes, but if they're at least given the gospel, people can respond. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings people to Christ anyway. Nothing we do is going to be enough to argue somebody into the kingdom of God. And if it is us arguing them into the kingdom, it's wrong anyway, because somebody else is going to come along and just argue them out as soon as we're done talking to them. It's kind of fun going on to these sites that people post the answers to Christians, what Christians say. Most of them are jokes when you look at them, but they will make sense to those who don't want to believe the Christian message anyway. Uh, I was reading one because I was studying up on resurrection, and one of them said, well, Christians make this big deal out of the women being the ones that first saw Jesus and reported him. They go, what a terrible, you know, it doesn't mean anything. I'm going, well, it doesn't mean anything in our day and age. In our day and age, there's no, no big deal the rights women have and how far along they've come. But in Jesus' day, it was a huge deal that the women were the ones that reported that Jesus was resurrected because they had no standing in the courts of law. They couldn't even testify in the court case. And yet God chose to show the women first. You know, it's one of those proofs that we look at it and say, if we know what they went through, it is a strong proof that the Bible was not written by men as a fairy tale trying to prove the resurrection, because if they were trying to make a, a fairy tale stand out, those women would not have been mentioned as being first in the car, and they would have been the men there. Because that would have, because by writing that it was the women first, it made people go, what are these crazy guys talking about? You know, you know because it, it literally was a crazy thing for them to have been able to say that. They were reporting facts. And because the fact was the women were there first, they said the women were there first. 
But it is good for us because now in our day and age, we look back and say, it shows that it's not a fairy tale that they're writing up. They're not trying to start a new religion. If they were trying to start a new religion, it would, we bold guys were the first ones there. <laughs> but we read these de depictions from the, from the people that aren't Christians trying to say, well, these, these are problems. When Paul tells the Corinthians there were 500 eyewitnesses, people go, well, that was just his, him saying things, you know, and he didn't think anybody would go there. Well, Corinth was only a day's ride from the ship, if, or a day or two's ride from the, by ship, and about a month if you wanted to, but you could have gone to Jerusalem to go find witnesses if you really didn't want to believe it. So we read these things, and we look how the world tries to tell us it is not true. And if you really look at things, their arguments hold no water. And yet, if you don't want to believe it, you're going to say, well, at least there's an argument. <laughs> you know, have you ever been someplace listening to two people talk about something and you hear somebody give, you, give an answer, whether it's Christian or anything else, but they give an answer that's so far off in left field, you wonder how anybody would believe it, and then you, then you hear people agreeing with them? Now, when I was in college, I heard a lot of these kind of things. You know, people would say, you know, not even about Christianity, they'd just be talking about something really crazy, and this person would be way off in left field. I don't even know what, 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 what they were talking about. And people were going, oh, yeah, you're doing really good. You're, you know, watch some of the political debates. <laughs> you know, we see that all the time. You know, so-and-so, what do you think about this? And they talk about something totally different. And everybody's cheering them. <laughs> even though they don't answer the questions. This is the problem that they have. And Paul's saying if they're in pretense, they're just pretending. At least Jesus is being lifted up. People are thinking about him. Or in truth. And this is something that is very important. Truth. Have you ever been listening to somebody teach, and they teach something that just does not resonate in your spirit because it doesn't make any sense? I, I have an inmate this last week who was trying to teach me, teach me something that he got from the Bible, and it was so far off in left field that it had no, balance, no basis in scriptures. And he's going, I'm quoting these scriptures. I'm going, yeah, you're quoting a lot of scriptures out of context. And without the right meanings, and then go, but the Holy Spirit had no resonance with that what he was saying is true. Now, I've also had times when I have not really totally believed what somebody says as they started, but everything in me said that it was true and forced me to go look at it. Because the Holy Spirit says, this person is right on. Truth. We need to be able to look at truth and have discernment of the Spirit when we're dealing with people, when we're dealing with the Word. Especially when you start studying a lot on your own. If you want to you study on your own, you can find somebody who will say anything and everything you might ever be able to imagine. Believe me, I've, I've gone to different books There's, over the years. I've had some books. I'm going, this book's worthless, and I've thrown it away after having spent $30 or $40 on the book because I'm going, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'm not going to give a book like that to somebody else because it's not, if I don't like it, I don't want anybody else to be reading it. And then other times I'll read something and go, wow, I've never heard this, but it sure sounds right. And I have to do, dig, dig deeper. And for those of you who get on the Internet, remember that every, just because it's on the Internet does not mean that it's true. <laughs> uh, well, I've had people go, well, it was on the Internet. I'm going, yeah, I totally believe that. It probably was on the Internet. It's just not true. <laughs> so we want to be able to look and say, God, what is true? He is true. He will lead us into truth. And we want to be careful what we study, how we study it. Because there is a lot of things out there. Uh, there's a lot of people who've written commentaries on the Bible, and much of what they write is good for some of them. Uh, but not all of what they write. I like, 
I like Matthew Henry's commentary, but I don't agree with every word that Matthew Henry writes. I like J. Vernon McGee, but I don't agree with every word that J. Vernon McGee has said. Are they normally good and, and accurate? Yes, they are normally good and accurate, and they're very safe ones to read, but you need to have the discernment of the Spirit to say, is this a true statement? And we need to be very careful. There are all kinds of false doctrines that get taught by teachers who have come together and put, honestly been teaching what they taught, and it's against the Bible. And if people aren't praying, aren't listening to the Holy Spirit. There's a class that I have taught in the past called How to Study the Bible. And the first, very first class I tell you is the most important teacher we have is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, with or without any commentary, with or without any teacher. The Holy Spirit will give you the truth. He is the one that also, when you hear something and it's not true, says, uh, you know, don't listen to this, it's not right. And he's also the one that says, listen to this, this is accurate. He's also the one that when you're studying on your own, he'll say, this is the truth. You may not know why, you just he teaches you what truth is. And Paul says, whether Christ is lifted up in pretense or in truth, he will rejoice. He says, I will rejoice. That is present active indicative, which is, it is a fact that he will rejoice. Or that he was rejoicing. And then it says, yea, I will rejoice in the future, that he will rejoice. Do we keep that in mind? Do we rejoice in God's word? Do we rejoice when somebody is doing something great for God? Or do we get envious and jealous of God, why aren't you using me like that? Well, you know, if you have to ask the question, God, why aren't you using me like that? Then step forward and start doing things for God. <laughs> Pretty, just straightforward. Step out and do something. If you want God to, really want God to use you, he is not going to knock you over the head and drag you to where you need to be. Okay. He says, step out. In the last church I was in, I did a lot of administrative work, and I had so many people that would come up to me and say, why aren't we doing this ministry in the church? I'm going, it sounds good. When would you, let me help you start it. If it's on your heart, you should be the one starting it. And usually they would say, no, I'm not interested in starting it, but we really should be doing it. I'm going, well, if it's that important, I will help you get it started. But it's your desire, your heart. Because if you are the one that really says something needs to be done, then we'll pray and we'll figure out how to get it done for you. Because you're the one that will get it started. And so many things have been started by people who just have the heart that God says, this needs to be done. There are all kinds of things in our church that needs to be done. I can't do many more things than I'm already doing. I've got two full-time jobs. <laughs> but, you know, if anybody said, I've got something I think God wants us doing, and they really want to do it, we'd, we'd do what we could to get it started and help them get it started. Because other people can do things just as well or better than I can in many areas. I'm a teacher. I love to minister to people and help people. But my job is a teacher, and I've always been a teacher. I will minister. I will do what needs to be done. But if somebody comes up, we need to do this. We need to do that. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. How do we do it? What do we need to make it happen? Because it's important. And I've shared with you, I believe that God has a job for every single person that's in the church. Now, what that job is, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you are an excellent prayer warrior, and that's your job. Now, don't tell us you're a prayer warrior if you don't get prayers answered. <laughs> uh, because I know prayer warriors when I've seen them. Because when they pray, 
When a prayer warrior prays, things move. God moves. Maybe you're somebody who just has handy and can do repairs on the church. Maybe you're somebody like Loretta for years who picked the weeds and has problems and the weeds are growing as much as they are now. Uh, you know, maybe your job is just that you want to clean. I mean, whatever it is that God puts on your heart, God's got a job for you to do in the kingdom. And I'm, I throw out just a few, but it could be something that you want to be the one that leads the you know, evangelism. You want to be the one going out. I don't know what it is. What God puts on your heart is between you and him. It may not even have any direct impact on our church. It's for the kingdom of God. And that's not a problem either because my goal is always, as I've said, I want to build God's kingdom. It's God's job to build our church. Our job is to build his kingdom. We invite people to come. We invite people to do things. We minister to people. But it's his job to build our church. We build the kingdom of God. Because that's eternal. This church will be here for as long as God wants it to be here. And then he's done with this church. It'll be gone. No matter what we try to do, if he's done with this church, this local assembly would be gone. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. But you never know. But what can we do to build the kingdom of God? What has God called you to do to lift up Christ in truth? And rejoice. When you see somebody who is being blessed... Be happy for them. Be very happy that they're doing good and that God is using them. I, I would love to just, if somebody came in this, in this town and built a church of 500 people somehow in this town, I don't know, but praise God. <laughs> praise God. God's using them, that's fine. As long as the gospel is being lifted up in that church. Now, if they came in with a false religion and built 500 churches, then we would actively try to, try to pray against it and try to find God's work in, in good. But if Christ is being lifted up, praise God. There's always someplace else. There's always something else to be done. Always another need. Because if I'm not the person who's supposed to be doing it, then we'll let God put somebody else in there and go to do something else. But what has God called you to do? What is your calling before God and stand up and follow what he has called to do? And then Paul goes on in verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Holy Spirit. And here he is not talking about his salvation of going to heaven. He's talking about the deliverance of the people that he cares about. Paul had a great heart for people. Which is why he went on missionary trips and started churches everywhere he went. So his goal was, God, if you take me out, and two or three other people start in my place, praise God. We see this in the disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus told them, go out to all the world. He left around 33 AD, 30, 33 AD, giving them this commission. And at 70 AD, most of the disciples were still in Jerusalem, building the church in Jerusalem. And God's message was to go out. The only one actively outside of Jerusalem was basically Paul and Barnabas. The rest of them were pretty much staying in Jerusalem. So what did God do? He let the Romans come in and destroy Rome, <laughs> destroy, destroy Jerusalem. And they very quickly left Jerusalem. <laughs> and in the process of leaving Jerusalem, they ended up all over the known world. Okay? 
ended up in India. Thomas ended up in India. We have Peter all through Europe. We have all the disciples going out all around to preach the gospel. How did God have to do that? He had to put a little fire under their backsides and say, I'm going to destroy this comfortable town that you're living in and make you go someplace else. I would tell you that if you want to serve God, choose to serve him because he'll make sure if you've got a call that he's going to make you serve him one way or the other. And it may get a little uncomfortable if he makes you serve him because you know that you're not doing what it is that you're supposed to. I love it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, God, I'm not going to speak for you anymore. Why? Because every time he spoke, he got thrown into, into an empty cistern or a dungeon and got punished. And then he says, your words burn in my mouth. I cannot but speak your words. Have you ever been in the place where your God's words burn in your mouth? You have to share it with somebody. You've been sitting there listening to somebody for a little while, and all of a sudden the words just pop out of your mouth. It's just you cannot help because the God's spirit is right there saying, you've got to open your mouth. You've got to speak my words. I've had that happen many times in my life. Got to speak. Got to, got to teach what it is. We should want to and not have it get to that point. But most of us, if you've been with God any length of time, have had those times where it just had to be spoken. Had to be spoken. You just could not be quiet. And Paul's saying, this is going to be to my salvation. You're going, others are going to pick up the candle. None of us are so important in God's kingdom that God can't do without us. None of us. And none of the great people, no matter, no, who, no matter who you pick in, this, in the history of the church, nobody was so important that God had to have them and they couldn't get through without. Elijah said, you know, God, I'm the only one worshiping you. And God says, no, I got 500 that, you know, 5,000 that haven't even bent their knees. Go, go do what I told you to do. We see all these different people. You know, we would pick somebody like Paul. How could we the world get by without Paul, the one that started all these churches? Well, he, he trained Timothy and, and Titus and Philemon and a whole number of people that he trained to take his place. When he died, we went from one missionary to four or five missionaries. You know, the most important thing that I have seen over my lifetime, when some important person in a church moves on, for whatever reason, whether it be by her death or goes to a different church or goes to a different place they're called, God always replaces them, and he usually replaces them with more than one. That has been what I've seen. More than one person usually takes the place of the person you think is indispensable, and all three or four of those people do great jobs. God is not limited to any superstar because it's all God doing the work anyway. Be ready. Look at what God can ask you to do. Be ready to step forward. And never think that there's somebody in a church that's so important that the church will die if that person's gone. Because if it's, if it's God's work, he's going to replace them. He has no problem replacing people and usually with as good or better, not necessarily the same. When Billy Graham stopped preaching on most of his sermons, his son took over. His son's a totally different preacher, but he still has the same impact on reaching millions. Totally different type of evangelism, but it gets done. In the day of Billy Sunday, and if you don't know who Billy Sunday was, he was a great evangelist in the early 1900s. And people were going, oh, nobody will ever be able to replace him. Along comes D.L. Moody. <laughs> you know, 
We have all these people out there. Every time that somebody will look and say, this person is just not going to be replaceable, God will put somebody else in their place and say, we're going to just keep going. And if you ever think that somehow you're doing a, something for God and you're going, oh, nobody else can do what I'm doing, you're replaceable. You know, thank God you're doing it. <laughs> and God's going to say, thank you for doing it. But if we get to the place where I think that I'm so special, nobody else can take my place, God will do all kinds of things to make sure you know you're not that, that special. You're not that important. We are individual pieces in the puzzle, in the story. And a story that has gone on for millennia and will continue to go on when we're gone until the end of time, whenever that is. Maybe sooner than we think, but it, we're getting close. But it'll keep going and God will keep replacing the pieces. Keep replacing the pieces. This person's gone. We'll plug in another part. Would it be the same thing, same ministry? Not necessarily, but God will say this is the new direction that, that we're going to take it with this person. Paul's understanding that. He's going... I'm going to be gone and others are going to take it. There'll be my salvation and I'm going to accept it through your prayer and through the Spirit. Do you realize how important prayer is? I talk about prayer warriors and I'm serious. If your job is to pray, pray. Get answers to these prayers. It tells us in the scriptures, we have not because we ask not. And he's not saying that we pray for a million dollars so that we can use it upon ourselves. But you know what? If we had a ministry that needed a million dollars... God would provide it. He's perfectly capable of doing whatever we need to perform the ministries that he wants to be done if we'll just pray and ask. And say, God, this is what you've put on our hearts. Will you supply? Will you supply? And it always starts out small. It starts out with the great needs. And God builds. I listen to CSN on the radio which, uh, oftentimes, and they talk about how it started out as a little little tiny station just because they wanted to reach their town. Now they preach around the world the gospel message. Started out with just a goal, just a vision of reaching their town. And now they're everywhere. They're on somewhere 24-7 all the time with these messages. We look at somebody like a Billy Graham who started out with a very small ministry and now, you know, or when he was preaching... <laughs> fills stadiums with millions of people plus television audience on top of that. What will God call you to do? I don't know. If you were to be given over completely to him, who knows where you might end up. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to follow God in, his, in what he's asking you to do. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I will be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul's going on, according to my earnest expectation, his great desire. Do you have an earnest expectation for God in your life? If so, look at it. Get it fulfilled. Is it to work with children? Is it to work with teenagers? Is it to minister to those that are down and out? We've got all kinds of different people in this town that need to be reached. And if God brings the right people in to fulfill these things, who knows what God can use and draw into, this, into our church for that. But you know, it'll be an individual who comes up and says, I think we really need to minister in this way and I'm willing to stand up and help. 
I'm willing to do it. And we'll look at it and say, okay, what do we need to do it? Oh, we need a house to, to, to handle all these people that we need, or we need to have a vehicle, whatever it might be. If we have the people that want to fill it, God is going to say, here's what you need. Here's what you need to fulfill the vision. There's things I want to see our church do, but it's going to take time and it's going to take people stepping up to do it. But God has a plan. We need to lift him up. And Paul says, my earnest expectation and my hope. And hope in the New Testament, we've covered this, is not I wish for. I'm hoping that something might happen the way we use it in our day. It is a confident expectation. Paul says, I have an earnest uh, expectation and I have a confident expectation that God is going to work. One thing I have seen over my lifetime is God works. He fulfills his word. He meets needs. May not give us overflowing abundance of stuff, but he meets needs. You read different biographies of the different missionaries and God meets the needs. I heard the story the other day about this tribe, this uh, missionary in the middle of Africa that needed medicine to come in for the treatment of a little girl. And this one girl says, well, we can pray for it. And they go, yeah, but we don't know when, you know, if we pray now, it's not going to happen. So the little girl prays, God, we need medicine in, the, in tomorrow's shipment, and I want a doll. <laughs> you know, she was added she wanted a doll. Well, the shipment came in the next day. The medicine they needed was in that box. And what was in the bottom of that box? <laughs> a doll for that little girl who had the absolute confidence that God would answer prayer. God knows when we're going to pray and starts the answer sometimes months or years in advance. How much boldness do we have to pray for God to answer our request? How many times do we think that something is just too big to pray about? God, there's just no way that you'll answer this, this prayer. Maybe we need to get a little bit more bold in our prayers and watch God perform. I was just finishing up the, the biography today of uh, uh, this last week of, uh, yeah, his name jumped right out of my head. George Mueller. George Mueller, yes. <laughs> he, in his lifetime, he ministered to 10,000 orphans in England. Never had any money of himself, but realized that millions of pounds had run through his hands in the 1800s. Now, if you don't think that's a big number, a million pounds in our day and age would be a fortune. In his day, it was huge. And I'll tell you just one story. He's sitting down with the kids. They have no food <laughs> for the kids' breakfast. And so he gets together with the kids and he goes, God, we thank you for the food that's coming to feed these kids. And just as he's finished his prayers, a knock on the door and there's a baker said, I was, you know, God put it on my heart to make these loaves of bread for you and bring them to you. So all of a sudden they had bread. Next thing he knows, he's got a knock on the door and this, this uh, dairy farmer goes, uh, my wagon's broke, broke its axle. I can't fix the axle with it fully loaded. Can you use some milk? So all of a sudden, the kids have milk and bread for breakfast. And I can't remember what the third of them, but there was another guy that comes in and says, I'm giving you this. These were the kind of things that George Mueller had all the time because he dared to ask God for great things. He needed an orphanage, and he had six different little buildings on a residential street, and the people were complaining because of the noise of the kids. It goes, God, we need a new building. Within a year, he'd built a building that could hold 400 kids. 
because God answered his prayer. Then he put more and more buildings in. You know, but we think about this. What is too small for God to answer, uh, too big for God to answer, or even small? Start with something small, get it, but be specific in your prayers. Be specific and say, God, we want to see this, or I want to have you blessed in this way. Now, if you just say, God, bless me, you will never know if your prayer has been answered because anything's a blessing. You woke up. You woke up, you're still alive. That's a blessing. You'd have to say, he answered your prayer. God, I have this bill, and it's, it needs to be paid tomorrow, and I don't know how it's going to be paid, and then watch how he gets you an extra job or something or extra money by selling something to pay for it, to get that bill paid for. God, we want to see this happen in our church and watch him move. Watch him bring the people in to do it. Watch him bring the money in to do it, the resources to do it. We need to be bold with our God and say, God, what is it you have planned? Paul probably never could afford to make all these missionary trips, but churches helped him. God helped him. What are we willing to do for God? How much discomfort are we willing to go through for God as we minister to him? And how far will we go with God? This is a challenge for us. I'd love to see our church doing great things. We have plenty of people that need help in, in this town without even having to leave this town. We've got plenty of people that need help. But we need the people, and we need to be bold enough to ask God. Once we have the people saying, this is what I think God wants us to do, then we'll start praying, God, give us the supplies. This is what we need. We need to be able to minister to people. We need to raise the kingdom of Christ up because he is the one that needs to be raised up. And Paul is saying that this, with all boldness as always, so that now Christ shall be magnified in my body by both life and death. Do we live in a lifestyle that magnifies Christ? Are we bold for Christ or are we very timid for Christ? Do people know you're a Christian? How many people know you're a Christian? Why do they know you're a Christian? You know, when we start lifting up Christ, we're going to be the center of a lot of people's attention, both good and bad. Because when you start saying, this is what God says, this is what truth is, you're going to become a target. People are going to say, well, wow, that's pretty narrow. How can, how can you say such an unloving thing that this is a sin? Because God says it's a sin. I can't say anything that God doesn't say. God says that fornication is a sin. In spite of the millions of people in America that are living in, in a lifestyle of unmarried connection, fornication is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Being gluttonous is a sin. Real hard for us in America with this gluttony. Because it's real easy to be gluttonous in America. Homosexuality is a sin. And when we say these things are a sin, the world looks at it and says, boy, that's totally unloving. No, it's a sin. We could go down the whole list. There's a whole bunch of sins. We could go down the list all day. How about gossip? How many people participate in gossip? That's a sin. Now, we've got all kinds of sins. We as Christians sin all the time. But we know that we're forgiven and that God is provided the way to salvation through through all of this and he will slowly take these things out of our life we're going to call sin a sin because it is a sin and we need to get it out of our life does it mean that we're 
headed to hell? No. If we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, no. But just as the first verse we, we mentioned, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The destination for all, those, all sinners is hell without Jesus Christ. And that was our second verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Without Jesus in your life, the destination is hell. Not to be scared, not to be, it's just what it is. No matter how good the person is or how bad the person is, without Jesus in their life, their destination is hell. With Jesus in your life, no matter how good you are or how bad you are, your destination is heaven. Now, with him in your life, you should be getting better in your walk because he is going to change who you are because he's living inside you and he will convict you. Have you ever as a Christian tried to do sins that you used to be able to do and all of a sudden can't do because the Holy Spirit is convicting you so bad that you go, nope, can't do this anymore or you try to do it and there's just nothing good out of it because you feel so bad because the Holy Spirit is convicting you? That's a good sign that the God is living in you. When you cannot do what you used to enjoy doing, it's a good thing because God is living in you and changing you. And Paul is saying, I want God to be magnified in my body. In the way I live, God should be magnified. When I'm with other people, do I participate with all the sinful things that they're doing? Yeah. If you're around people who are gossiping, how do you feel when they're gossiping? Do you join right in with them? Or do you stop what's going on and walk, either walk away or stop it? I've been on both sides of the coin. Usually I will tell people, okay, you want to talk about this listen, let's go, let's go talk in front of them. I'll listen to anything you want to say as long as they're present to hear it. You know what? I haven't had very many people take me up on that offer. <laughs> they just don't want to do that for some reason. And I'm not perfect in that. I do it more often than not. But, I've, but I'm, my goal is I don't want to be participating in that because it is ungodly. And the times when I have heard something about halfway through what they're going, I go, nope, this has got to stop, and I'll stop the goal. <laughs> you know, we, I'm not listening anymore. I'm, I'll walk away, whatever it takes. But we need to look at what happens to us when we're in the midst of sin. Do we participate, or do we bring God into the, into the mix? Do we bring God into the mix of what's going on? He's there. If he's in our heart, he's there. <laughs> and we need to lift him up in the midst. Now people go, well, you're just a holy roller. You think you're better than everybody. No, I've just got God in my heart, and I cannot participate in these activities. It has nothing to do with me being better or worse than you, because I, uh, in my heart I really want to participate in these things usually, because we're sinners. <laughs> but his spirit in us will change how we react to it, and it's very important. So the challenge for us today is, number one, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? But number two, does he have a real impact in your life? And my prayer today is, for the most part, I, see, I, I know the testimonies of people in here, and the people in here say you're saved, and that's great. My question for you is, how much does he come out of your life? When you're with others, do they know that you're a saved person, and that God is the one that's there? Or do they just see you as just like everybody else around them? And that doesn't mean we condemn them. It doesn't mean we get mad at them for their actions. It just means that they know that God doesn't approve. 
in a very gentle way. It's very easy if you love somebody to correct them and not make them feel that offended. It's easy to just say, you know, God really cares about where you're going with your life and this is not the way he wants you to go in this lifestyle. And you've all probably been corrected at some point in your life in a very loving, gentle manner. Doesn't mean you like it any better. It's still correction. But you know that the person that's giving you that correction is doing it because they love you. Now, you've also had people that are just self-righteous and try to correct you, and it's obvious that they don't care about you that much. They're just trying to, to make you feel bad about what you're doing. Our job as Christians is to love one another, as Christians, enough to speak the truth, but also to speak the truth to the lost world. They need to hear that there is a standard. There is a standard that God has. God is not just so loving that he'll let anything and everything go. And as I said, it's not about doing the good works, but he is going to change who we are for his. He is going to make us more righteous as we go along. He is going to make us more holy as we walk with him, if we're his child. If, you're his, if you say you're a Christian and you have had no change in your lifetime toward a more holy, more righteous life, analyze whether you know God. <laughs> you really need to look and say, am I in the faith? Because if that's not happening, if you're not growing in Christ, you've got other problems to have to deal with. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. Lord, if anybody's listening to this that doesn't know you, we ask that you convict them of their sin and that they will ask you to come into their heart, forgive their sins, and accept that gift of Christ. Lord, for all others that are Christians, Lord, we ask that you challenge them right now to stand firmer in the words, stand firmer in your witness so that they will be bold and confident to be a, a witness of you in the way they live, in the way they go forward. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.